0: series that we started last week. Uh, We're calling it Awkward to Awesome. And, um, hey, and there's the passage right there. We're calling it awkward to awesome. We're moving from awkward to awesome. Has anybody ever felt a little bit awkward in life occasionally? All right. One person is brave enough to admit it. Um, yeah, I have plenty of awkward stories. I think I think everybody, if, if, if you're not feeling awkward, then you're probably not moving forward. I think that's, <laughs> that's kind of what I've come to decide, that if you're not entering into some new phases of life, if you're not entering into some kind of uh, place where you're feeling maybe like you don't quite fit quite well, you don't quite... Know what to do. Uh, if you if you're not in some place that you've never been before, then you're not moving forward. So maybe the sermon series will just kind of help encourage you to get awkward a little bit, like you know push you out there a little bit, and um, start moving forward. And as a church, City Chapel, we're definitely moving forward, and so we're experiencing some awkwardness as we as we as we learn the the ropes and and everything everything from being in a new place a new location here in Williams Elementary um, to being a brand new church we just started a year ago, and so we're still we're still kind of in that phase where we're trying to figure everything out. And, and what's wonderful about that is that we have so many people who are making decisions, like new decisions to follow Jesus, new decisions to be baptized, new decisions to, to, to get back together with their spouses, new decisions to, to repent to their sons and daughters, to, to, to make reconciliation. We have so much new life just springing forth um, that that does create a bit of awkwardness every once in a while. And so we're looking at a guy in scripture by the Name of Jacob, who pretty much his whole life was full of awkward situations, and um, uh, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to the one um, today. And this is one where um, Jacob uh, basically makes a deal with his brother for his birthright. So let's go ahead and read uh, Genesis 25, verse 24 through 34. Says uh, th- this is about their birth, Jacob and Esau. And we talked about this last week. That when her days were fulfilled to give birth, indeed there were twins inside of her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. <laughs> what in the world? That's, that's awkward. It's your first awkward moment right there. You give birth to Chewbacca and uh, it's a little bit awkward. <laughs> I mean, like, he's not a grown man. He's a baby, and he's like a little carpet, little little furry garment. So they called his name Esau. They, they opted not to call him Harry, which that would have been a better decision. But um, uh, see, see how that worked out for him. If he would have been named Harry, things might have ch- turned around. But... Esau, and afterward his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. We talked about that last week. So his name was called Jacob, which means heel grabber. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So the boys grew, verse 27. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob for no reason at all. Esau (laughs) sells his birthright. Verse 29, now Jacob cooked a stew. Now Jacob's the one mild man staying at home. He's in the kitchen. He cooks a stew. And Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Uh, Edom means red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What good is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He despised. the word "despise" means to value lightly or to not place much value upon. He despised his birthright. Would you pray with me, Lord? I thank you for this day and just for those who have come out to hear your word and to and to worship you. Thank you for your presence and worship. I thank you that it can be well with our soul, regardless of what is going on in our body or in our even in our mind. Lord, our our spirits can be at rest. We pray for that today. We pray for all restlessness to be laid down. We pray for all uh, anxiety to be calmed down. We pray for the peace of God that passes understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we, we ask for your word to come alive to us. Lord, show us Jesus Christ in this Old Testament scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Speaking of awkward moments, uh, one moment that's happened to me several times in my life, it's kind of like a, a reoccurring moment, and maybe some of you other guys can um, associate with this, married guys anyway. Um, <laughs> have you ever gone to bed and everything's good? good okay, was one guy, awesome, went to bed, everything was good, me and JT, man, I feel you. Sometimes you go to bed, everything's good. I don't know. Maybe some guys need to come talk to me and JT. We'll tell you how that works. OK, you go to bed, everything's good. And then you wake up and it's like overnight something happens um, that makes everything not good. And so you say, good morning, honey. And she just kind of scowls at you a little bit. Has that, that, that ever happened to anybody? I'm, I'm a guy, so my brain doesn't quite get it. So it took me a while to figure out. And so, you know, you, know, so you say, well, honey, what's wrong? You know, the classic what's wrong question. And sometimes you get an answer and sometimes you don't. But, but, but what, what has happened to us sometimes is, is even like there was the one time where she's like, I don't really know what's wrong. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, how is something wrong that you don't know? If you don't know what's wrong, then nothing's wrong. Like, that's pretty much the way that works, I think. Because if I don 't know anything's wrong, then nothing's wrong it's not wrong until you know something's wrong. you know what I'm saying I mean if something's wrong with my car, but it still goes down the road just fine, then nothing's wrong with my car you know uh anyway and so and you, you so you ask what 's wrong and she says i don't know and there, there there was one time where it took like all day and and we're trying to figure out what 's wrong and finally she realizes that the night before she had a dream that I did something. Mean to her. I was mean to her in her dreams. Has this ever happened to anybody? I personally don't feel like that should be held against me. I think I got hard enough time dealing with the stuff I actually do. You know what I'm saying? Like. Then there's the stuff you imagine I did, and I still gotta pay for that. How does that work? I mean, you know, and so she, like, this happens periodically where she'll just wake up, Ro will just wake up and she'll just be like, you were really bad in my dream last night. You said this to me, you did that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I think. I, I really, <laughs> how do you apologize for stuff that like I did in her mind? I don't understand this. It gets a little awkward sometimes because you know there's something going on like in her head and 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 in her dreams apparently. I don't know why I don't know why you dream bad stuff about me. I never dream bad stuff about you. Uh, yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. I just Anyway, um, I, so I'm not sure how that works, but it's just one of those awkward things, I guess, in marriage that you kind of have to deal with and you have to realize the other person is thinking something uh, that uh, you may not have even entered into your head. Uh, but you still, you're still going to have to deal with it because it's, it's kind of valuable uh, to her. It's valuable to her emotions. In fact, she says, like, you know, even though I know you didn't say that, it feels like you said that. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't, still doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. But to her, if, as long as it feels like I said it, then I might as well have said it. Like, that's kind of the way it works. And so you kind of have to deal with that, realizing that it feels that way. And you have to, you know, get, have a little bit of grace. Husbands, have a little bit of grace and just kind of apologize for your imaginary self. He's a... <laughs> He's even dumber than your real self, and as if that was possible. I don't know how that works, but somehow he's even, yeah, he's, how, how come I'm not more heroic in your dreams? How come I'm not, like, like coming in, saving the day, fighting bad guys? of the time, I'm the hero. Okay, the other times, I'm like the bad guy. Uh, Okay, this is cool. All right, so um, anyway, there's some stuff that we all need to work out, and I'll let you guys deal with that on your own time. But um, Jacob here, uh, we we see really a a shift um, in values, Really, this story, the story about Jacob and Esau is an interesting story. I've never actually preached on this story, even though almost every preacher I've ever heard preach has preached on this story. So if you've been in church for a while, you would have heard this story a lot. And you would have heard this story over and over again. And I think the first thing, thing—the one of the reasons why this story is preached on so much is because it is pretty ridiculous. I mean, it's pretty insane. Uh, you know, Jacob makes an offer to Esau that is flat out, Dumb. I mean, it's, it's one of the, in fact, modern scholars even doubt the validity of this scripture because they say it's so far-fetched, it's so dumb, it's so out of the realm of possibility that there's no way that Esau would have traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. Like, this is craziness, and, and, and for those of you that, that aren't aware, we talked about this last week, but the birthright is the birth order that you're born with, and so Esau was born as the oldest son, and as the oldest son, there are some serious perks to being the oldest son in this culture. Uh, in this culture, the oldest son meant that he got double the inheritance of all the other sons, so whatever, whatever your father was worth, he divvies up the inheritance, and you, as the oldest, you get twice as much, and by the way, we know scripture tells us that isaac was very well off their father was very rich because isaac's father was very rich abraham had been blessed by the by the king of egypt and and he 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 had become quite rich and then isaac himself had also grown in his riches so this is not just a small tiny inheritance right we're gonna like we're gonna split the savings that's tucked under the mattress like this is a major major deal and Esau, as the oldest, he's the one who who has the birthright to claim. Double the inheritance. Not only double the inheritance, but also he would basically acquire the land, which is one of the most important things in this ancient culture. He would be—he would take over the father's position in the family as managing the land, taking care of uh, uh, his 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 sisters. He would have to make sure that his sisters got married off, and he sort of became the father in the family once the father passed away. The oldest, the birthright, meant that you had this, this enormous blessing. You were in charge. And it was up to you. Not only that, but this particular family, the family of Jacob and Esau, would have grown up hearing the stories told from their father, Isaac, who heard the stories told from his father, Abraham, about all the promises that God had made to that specific family that God was gonna multiply their, 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 their children like the sands of the sea, that God was through them, that all of the world was gonna be blessed. Ultimately, God was gonna bring his savior, his Messiah through this line. And so, I mean, this is what Abraham lived for. So you know that Abraham was sharing these dreams and these visions with Isaac. And you know that Isaac was sharing these dreams and these visions with these boys. This was not just any old family. And so when, 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 when he is the oldest, that means he not only has the, the 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 material blessings of of getting you know twice as much stuff of all of his brothers, and he not only gets the gets to be in charge, but he also uh, gets to play an important role in that powerful family's history. This is this is some pretty big stuff, and yet he gives that away for a bowl of soup. Uh, I heard one preacher explain it like this: um, he basically. Uh, a pen. Does anybody have any pens? If we had, if we had, does anyone have a, these City Chapel pens? That would be a perfect one. Oh, what is that? Oh, see, you already stole the City Chapel pen. Whatever. Okay. Um. So oh, City Chapel pen right there. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's a little bit better. So, so this is this is from Greece though. This is it's got a little barcode on it. Um. Okay. Who who here came in a nice car? Who who drive? And I'm I'm not talking like a Kia. I, I mean like you know like. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with the key. Lexus, Lexus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheryl, Cheryl, Cheryl. The Lord has blessed Cheryl with a, with a nice Lexus. And okay, I got a great deal for you, Cheryl. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trade you this pen for your Lexus. you want to do it? No? Really? For real? But you can write with it. It's amazing. You could okay. So but that's that's almost the kind of deal that that Jacob is is offering here. I mean it's, it's it's like it's it's like you know a pen for Alexis. It's 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 a pen for a it's it's a bowl of bowl of soup for a birthright. He's like I'll give you a bowl for for your birthright, for double the inheritance, for being in charge of the entire family, for, for living on the land, for, for for taking a powerful place in this in this great family, he said, "I'll trade you a pen for your Lexus." It's insane, and so and so. One of the ways I think I think one of the reasons. Thanks, I'll, I'll give you that. I think one of the reasons why preachers always use this story is because it is somewhat uh, applicable to our lives in that whenever you think of sin, whenever you think of, of sin, it's, it's very similar to um, uh, trading a pen for Alexis. The, the, the reward of sin is death. And, uh, and that's, not only, not, that's not only in this life, but that's in the life to come. I mean, there's, there's, there's bad consequences here and now, but then there's also pain. But then there's also eternal death. And so the, when, when you think about sin, it's really, when you think of it logically, it's almost as dumb as trading a powerful birthright like this for a bowl of soup. And so that's, that, that's one application that preachers often use. And, and, and the great question is why? Why would Esau trade his amazing inheritance for a bowl of soup. Now you have to remember Esau, like he's not out in the country anymore. It says that when, when that Esau had come in from the field. So Esau is like 10 feet from the pantry. Esau could go in and rustle up some fresh tortillas from H-E-B, you know, and throw a little chicken on there, make some enchiladas and put some stuff on it. And it would, you know, it's like he could make his own food. He could just simply, you know, he wasn't like way out in the wilderness about to die. He had come home. He was home where Jacob was. Jacob lived at home. He comes home. Jacob, he walks in the kitchen. Jacob has made something. And it's not like he's starving to death. It's not like Esau can't go in the kitchen and rustle something up. Instead, he he wants something that's already prepared. So it's almost a luxury, honestly. It's almost like convenience. It's almost like why... You all go to McDonald's instead of going home and cooking for your dinner. Come on, somebody. Okay. Well, anyway, th- those of you who are too ashamed to nod to that, just go ahead, be quiet. But I know, I know what you do I, because this McDonald's stays in business somehow, and so you, you, it's convenience. It's like, hey, this is much easier. It's quicker. And so, and so, he's almost like he's giving away his birthright for something that is not incredibly necessary. That's not incredibly. Uh, amazing is, is a bowl of soup why in the world why would he why would he do that uh, some 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 scholars say that it's uh, impulsiveness and that sin is kind of like that and that sin offers a quick fix and um, sin offers a quick solution a convenient solution and uh, a, a quick answer to your to your hunger and I, I think there's some truth to that but I, but I think the greater truth is found in the statement there at the very end of our passage verse 34 It says, thus, Esau despised his birthright. It doesn't say after this, Esau despised his birthright. It says thus. In other words, this story is, I believe, placed in scripture so that we would understand what Esau thought of his birthright. So that we would understand. In other words, he's saying, look, in light of all this, I think you can understand how little Esau thought of his birthright. How little he valued his birthright. Now, why in the world would he not value it very much? Oh, it's obviously valuable to, to us. It sounds like there's some great perks to it. Well, that's because the whole time I've told you all of the, the rights of the birthright. On the other side of that are also the responsibilities of the birthright. And so I think sometimes the responsibilities, you can be so afraid of the responsibilities that you, that you let go of the rights. And uh, when, when, when scripture here says that Esau, let's see in the, the, the slide before that, it says that Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Oftentimes, whenever I've heard that preached, I've heard it preached like, you know, he was a man's man. Because in our culture, uh, if you're a man of the field, then you are like, you know, like you're a man's man. But in this culture, this is different. This is not a hunter-gatherer culture. In other words, when he went out to hunt, he's not necessarily bringing home the bacon, so to speak. He's not necessarily bringing home food for the family because this is not a hunter-gatherer society. This is an agricultural society. So this, the, the, these people are farmers. So they they plant stuff and they grow stuff and they have herds and they have flocks. And if they want to eat some meat, they simply go out to their herd and they kill like the the calf that they've been that they've been growing. These people are not. It's not a hunter-gatherer. They're dependent on somebody going out, finding something and bringing it back. In fact, in in, in the scripture, Esau doesn't even bring anything back. And so the, 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 the picture is painted of Esau as this guy who loved to stay out in the field and hunt. But what's interesting is whenever you read about any of the other patriarchs in this time period, you never see them out in the field. Like Abraham. You never see Abraham out in the field. If you read the scripture uh, time after time, every time Jesus appears, every every time the angels appear to him, every time God appears to him, um, he's, he's, he's always in the tents. Why? Because this is not a hunter-gatherer society. This is a farmer society. So he has to be in the tent to take care of business, to, to assign uh, the servants to go here and to take the sheep over there to that hill, to, 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 to take care of the family business, to deal with, 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 with everything that's going on. He has to stay in the tent. In the tent is the place of responsibility. But Esau's not in the tents. Esau's out in the field. And he's not even necessarily catching anything. And if he does, it's more, most scholars believe it's more for sport. And so he is, the picture is painted of him as somebody who doesn't want to stick around the tents, even though that's going to be his job someday. Because every time you read about Abraham, he's in the tents. Every time you read about Isaac, he's in the tents. Why? Because that's where the manager of the house stayed. That's where he took care of business and he guided the family. He, was also, he, was, he also had to be the priest of the home. In other words, he had to be the one who would, who would bring the family closer to God as the firstborn. That was his responsibility. And so on the one hand, he had incredible rights as the firstborn. But on the other hand, he had incredible responsibility and the cost of that valuable inheritance was, I think, too much for him to pay. And I think if we're not careful, one of the ways that we stay in an awkward state, one of the ways that we don't move forward with God is we see the rights of being a child of God. We see the, the privileges of, 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 our, of our inheritance. We see the joy and the peace and, and, and all of that. And we, we love that, but then the cost sets in. <laughs> and we say, well, I don't know that I'm ready to pay that. Anything that's valuable is going to be costly. If nobody ever told you that, let me just be the first to tell you anything that's valuable is going to be costly. If you think of marriage is valuable, it's going to be costly. If you think college edu- education is valuable, it's going to be costly. I mean, anything. If you think starting a business is going to be, va- it's going to be costly. Anything that's valuable, uh, starting a church, starting City Chapel Church, if it's valuable, if there's value in it, let me tell you something, it has come at a cost. And sometimes you don't see the cost that other people pay, you just see the value, and you think, man, I really love to have that, wouldn't that be great? But there is always, make no mistake, there's always a cost to anything. It's always a cost. If anything is valuable, there is going to be a price to pay. There's going to be a cost. I think. I think in our in our modern generation, we've kind of uh, we've kind of avoided talking about the cost of following Jesus. We kind of avoided that. You know, it's like the old hymn: um, Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. I think we changed the words to that. Jesus paid it all, nothing now I owe. You know, it's like, it's like, all right, Jesus, his grace is so good and everything. Now I just say yes to Jesus and then everything is wonderful. Everything is awesome. And you know, and like, there's, there's a sense in which that's true. There are amazing privileges to following Jesus. There's amazing grace. There's amazing uh, mercy is new every morning. Yes, it is, but there is a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to choosing every day to open up your Bible and read what it has to say. There's a cost to choosing every day to uh, get on your knees and praying to God to give you the grace to make it through the day. There's a cost to getting out of bed on Sunday mornings and going to church to fellowship with, with other believers and to hear the word of God. And these things are not always easy. You don't always feel like going to church. I don't even always feel like going to church. And I'm the pastor. So I can tell you, there's, there are definite times that I'm like, I'd just rather sleep in because it's kind of rainy and it's really, my bed's really comfortable. But there's always going to be a cost. Anything of value is going to cost you something. And Esau I don't think Esau wanted to pay the cost. I, I, I think Esau didn't value the cost. But here's what he did value. He valued what, what we talked about last week. He valued the blessing. Because when Jacob stole the blessing, man, he was ticked. I mean, he was so ticked. He said, I'm going to I'm going to kill Jacob. As soon as our days of mourning are over for my dad, I'm going to kill my brother. That's how mad he was. How how in the world is it that the birthright he just gives away for a bowl of soup? But the blessing, hey, don't you dare touch that or I will chop your head off. He valued the blessing, but he didn't value the birthright. He valued the rights, he didn't value the responsibility. He, he, thought, he thought, hey, you know what? I don't really need this birthright because my dad's gonna pronounce this magical blessing over me, and then everything is gonna be awesome. So I'm not gonna bother hanging out in the tent and learning the family business. I'm not gonna bother taking care and preparing myself for my ultimate calling. I don't even really think all that's that important. All I need is for my dad to say some magic words and then everything is going to be great. But this is what Esau found out too late: that if you don't hold on to your birthright, you will not get the blessing. The blessing follows the birthright. Which is why Jacob was somewhat honest when he went into his dad, clothed up, pretending to be Esau, and, and, and Jacob said, Is this my or um, Isaac said, Is this my firstborn? Yeah. He had bought the birthright to be the firstborn. So in a way, Jacob was being honest there because he was in fact, under the law, he was the firstborn because he had purchased that. He had purchased the responsibility. He had purchased the right to be called the firstborn. And so when he comes into his dad, and his dad says, are you my firstborn? And he says, yes, in a way he's, 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 he's accurate, which is why he could be blessed, which is why Esau could not be blessed. Because Esau didn't value the birthright. And so often this is us. And so I, th- to me, this is a perfect warning sermon. So it's not really the kind of sermon where, you, where you're always gonna shout me down and, and say hey, amen and throw hankies at me or anything. If you don't know what that is, then just never mind. That's just, whew, are right you uh, But but th- But this is really, really helpful for you as you approach your daily life. Because let me tell you something, every single day you are going to be faced with, do I value the birthright or do I value the blessing? Let me, let me just tell you something. What's helpful for me is to, is to remember that I, I, I can, I can date, I can date the blessing, but I have to marry the birthright. I can, I can date the product, but I have to marry the process. You got to fall in love with the work of it. You got to fall in love with, the process it's okay to be excited about the product and, and and as a church planter as a pastor I'm thrilled pumped overjoyed about the product I mean like a couple weeks ago when we when when we baptized 10 people up here on this stage like that's the product right lives being changed people coming to God I love it I love the product I love uh, seven kids that day in children's church said yes to Jesus that's the product I mean that's like that's that's exciting that's the kind of stuff you put on Facebook that's the kind of stuff you send out on 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 on, on emails and, and you know put put on your status update. You you advertise the product because the product is exciting, and I'm excited about it. I love the product. I love days when I get to see like the fruition or the fruit of what God is doing. But the process is more important because the product doesn't just appear. And by the way, whenever the product does appear, it, 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 it then goes away. And so some weeks we baptize 10 people and some weeks we baptize no people. <laughs> and some weeks seven kids decide to follow Jesus and some weeks no kids decide to follow Jesus. But this is, this is the thing with product. This is the thing with, 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 with the blessing. This is the thing with the reward. It happens sometimes. But if you, if, you, if you hold on to the product, if you're only in it for the product, if you marry the product, you'll become disappointed. You gotta marry the process. It's like, a, it's like a flywheel. I have a, I have a picture of, of a giant flywheel, 30 foot in diameter, about 5,000 pounds right there. See those guys standing next to it? This is how they used to generate um, um, electricity. And so you have this massive 5,000 pound flywheel. And this is life. <laughs> I think the flywheel is life. Somebody said, I don't understand why life is so hard. Cause it's life. It's five thousand pounds. It's thirty feet in diameter. It's not for wimps. Okay, life is heavy. It's arduous. It's difficult. Get used to it. That's it. And 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 as we approach life, you really you really have one of two options. You you can either you can you have to start moving the flywheel, of course. And so and so you you try to lift that one end. And I mean you know I mean for me, I just kind of flick my finger. But you know for most of you, it's going to be a little difficult. You're not as muscly as as me and and. And, and, and Dennis, we'll just kind of heave it over there. But you know, but but, but for, for, for for most of it, I mean, you're going to push for like an hour, and you're going to move it like you know maybe maybe six inches. I mean, I mean, absolute pressure, just just your legs are buckling, everything that you got, you're moving it, and you move it six inches, and then you push for another hour, and that next hour, you move it a little more than six more inches, it's more like, you know, 10, 10 12 inches, maybe 18 inches, and you're kind of starting to get a little bit of movement, and you push for three hours, and maybe after three hours, you get an entire revolution, it's moving very slowly, but there's a little bit of momentum, and so you're pushing again, and so you push for six hours and you push for twelve hours and, and and the thing starts moving maybe maybe once, twice, three times, six times, nine times, eighteen times around. The revolution, as it gets going faster and faster, there's a little something called momentum. And the weight of the thing the difficulty of the thing the pressure of the thing actually starts working with you instead of against you now 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 all of the process all of the sweat all of the pressure all of the hours of work come together to create something much bigger than any particular 1 hour i mean if somebody were to come up to you after you get that thing spinning at at at, at 60 revolutions per minute and then 120 revolutions per minute and it's going faster and faster if somebody were to come up to you at that point and say okay what was the big magic push it would be a dumb question. There's no big magic push. There's no, there, there wasn't one defining moment. There wasn't one particular push. It's just, I don't even know how to answer that. It's, a, it's the culmination. It's consistent pressure in the same direction. It's consistent pressure, consistent pushing in the same direction. But what most of us do that keep us in an awkward state is we will push our guts out for like a week in one direction. And then we'll be like, well, maybe maybe, maybe that other, cause this really isn't working. So maybe the other direction is where we need to go. And so then you use all this energy stopping the previous movement and you start pushing it in the other direction. And you say, yes, this is it. No, no, this is this is really, really hard. And you know, you know maybe this marriage isn't quite cut out for me. I think there's another lady over there that would be a little bit better. So we'll push it in a different direction. And then you push it. In the, and you spend our life jumping from one, what we perceive as a silver bullet. What we perceive as this is it. This is the moment. This is the magic moment. This is the breakthrough moment. Hallelujah, glory to God. We're gonna break through, and we're just—we're constantly looking for breakthrough, and nobody wants to push through. Nobody wants consistent pressure over time because that's boring. It's not exciting, it's birthright stuff. I want blessing somebody, give me blessing. I don't need birthright, I don't need consistency, I don't need to grow up in this thing. I just, want, I just want it now, and I want the power now, and I want the grace now, and I want victory now. I don't want any more enemies, I don't want any more struggles. I just, I just want that flywheel to get spinning. Why does everything have to be so hard? Because you keep changing your mind. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you, you, work, you work against yourself, and you go to school for that for, for, for three and a half years. And just before you graduate, you decide you can't afford it anymore, so then you go to school for that for two years. And you're, you're going up and down and back and forth and left and right, and you don't get any momentum. It's always a struggle. Momentum comes from consistent pressure in the same direction over time. This is true in your Christian life. This is true if you're starting a business. This is true if you're starting a church. There's a million bajillion, 110 million things that people think churches should be doing. And they tend to tell me every single one of them. And I'm like, that's awesome for that church. That's great for that church. Here's the four things we do right? Here's the four things we do. Number one, we believe in uh, having Sunday morning services that bring you closer to God and welcome people that are far from God. That's, that's the number one. Like we do that every single Sunday. And so even on a rainy Sunday, a lot of people show up and put together a pipe and drape because this is what we do. We have church that welcomes sinners. That's what we do and encourages and challenges saints. That's what we do. Number two, we have a growth track. This is, this is discipleship. This is helping you figure out who you are, who God's called you to be, and how you can start spinning the wheel in the right direction for your life. Number three, we have small groups because that's what the Book of Acts Church did because we believe that life change happens in the context of community. And number four, we serve. In other words, we we go out into the community and we do stuff that actually helps people. Don't just preach at them, we actually help you. Those are the four things we do. And I mean, there are lots of other wonderful things to do out there and it's great for those churches, but these are the four things we do. We're gonna do them over and we're gonna get better and we're gonna get better and we're gonna get better and we're gonna get some momentum going here. The first couple weeks, Lord, it was like, it's like trying to pull teeth, trying to get this stuff set up. But as, but as you get faster and faster, the momentum begins to build. Look, this is like, um, it's like, it's like if you were to take an egg. An egg is very boring in and of itself. It's very, there's not, not much going on. I mean, it doesn't look like there's much going on. You take an egg and you watch it for a week. You watch it for however long it takes. And at some given point, something's going to start, you know, cracking in there and a little, little, Chick's beak is gonna poke out and it's gonna start. Ring, 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 ring. And that's the moment when, like, all the news cameras come in and the magazine articles, you know, amazing transformation of egg, you know, bird uh, comes out of egg, egg comes alive, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's the moment in which everybody says, breakthrough is happening right there. That's a blessing. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's, that, that's, that's what I want. And I think it's one of the reasons why we get so addicted to the product is because that's all everybody anybody talks about. We tend to think that's the goal, and it is, kind of. But to the chicken that was inside the egg, was that really that big of a breakthrough? Or was it just the next step on a series of a thousand steps? It was the next barrier that he had to break. That's all that it was. So many people ask me, what's the secret of of, of living with God? What's the secret? Let me tell you the secret is consistent pressure in the right direction over time. If you say you want God, then here's what you do. Go home and start walking in that direction. (laughs) There's no magic formula. There's no magic blessing. Yeah. There's no wand that people are gonna wave over your head. It's just consistent pressure, same direction, over time, and momentum starts building. Because when you start, man, oh, it's tough. And that's why so many people, look, this is something that you probably don't know, but a statistic that's going around that I I always thought was fake, it's actually accurate. 90% of pastors who start a church or start a lead role, a senior pastor role, 90% of senior pastors right now will not retire as senior pastors which means 90% of them, percent of them will retire as plumbers or, 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 or computer electricians or something. In other words, they'll quit the ministry. And I don't want to be one of those 90%. I want to be one of the 10% that does what God's called me to do throughout my whole life. So, so what that means is, and I, 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 you know, you say, well, I'm not a pastor. That doesn't really mean anything to me. I think the stats probably is pretty similar to Christians as well. I think 90% of people in church are not going to end up in church. I think 90% of people are going to quit at some point because it's just so darn hard. And nobody told them that. It's going to take more than a week. It's, you're going to have to pull that, push that flywheel. It's going to take more than a month. It's going to take more than a year. You might take a whole year for you just to get one revolution for your, I mean, because you got kids, you got marriages, you have, you have years of, 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 of addictions and of bad ways of thinking. And you got, I mean, it takes a while to start getting some momentum going toward God. And man, I really want to improve that statistic. I want to be one of the 10%. I want you all to be the 10% that you make it for the long haul. So I'm just telling you, you got to value the birthright. You can't just lust after the blessing. you got to value the day-to-day. This is it. you got to value the work of it. We were out, <laughs> we were out, uh, goodness, Family Fun Day Friday turned into because of the weather, it turned into family, go to Lowe's and buy 112 um, <laughs> sandbags, and then go to McCoy's and buy 112 like fill bags to fill with sand, and then go back home and put three-foot-high three sandbag uh, around our house so that maybe it won't flood a whole lot. And so we're out there in the sun working. I mean, it took up most of the day. And we're out there working and, 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 and everything, and Madden was with me, and she's like, this is kind of like being a slave. LAUGHTER She's learning history, so you have to forgive her. Um, I said, well, kinda, honey, you know, I feel it, I feel you. But um, the difference is like slaves, they they had to work, they have to work very hard, but they don't get any of the rewards. That's the difference. God's calling us to work very hard, but he promises blessing at the end of it. And so I'm gonna keep working. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy the work of it. I'm going to enjoy the work of it. I'm going I want to get up because that's worship. Digging a hole is worship. If it's where God's called you to be, putting sandbags down is worship. If that's where God's called you to be, whatever you have to do to be where God's called you to be is worship. And so I'm going to love this part of it. I don't. I'm not just going to love preaching on Sundays. I'm going to love setting up the stage on Sundays and setting up the pipe and drape and hanging out with people. I'm not just going to love uh, singing worship songs on Sunday. I'm going to love meeting with people on, at midnight for marriage counseling. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm going to love taking time out to, to meet with people about their addictions and stuff. I'm going to love the work of it because that's what gets the flywheel moving. That's each and every person who decides to lay aside their addiction, each and every marriage that brings comes back together, each and every son or prodigal son or daughter that comes home is a part of the momentum that is building what God is doing here. It's not just about packing people in to a a stadium or to a room on Sunday morning. It's about moving the kingdom of God forward, and I can do that on Monday. I can do that on Tuesday night. I can do that on Wednesday morning. I can push this thing, and and I, I can be faithful in what I can do and so I want to encourage you to do that one of the reasons why why we don't do that one of the reasons why we get away from that is because of this beautiful this beautiful thing that that Esau was offered and it was a bowl it was it was a it was a bowl of rich yummy smelling soup and so we often we don't value birthrights we value bowls we trade birthrights for bowls we 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 choose to feed out of, <laughs> the enemy is happy to offer us. And this is why we go back and forth with our momentum. This is why, because, because the enemy says, okay, look, it's really, really hard for you right there. It's really, it, that birthright's pretty difficult, isn't it? So here's, here's a quicker way to it. Here, have this bowl and we eat out of the bowl. And as we eat out of the bowl, we, 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 so many of us lose our birthright in secret. <laughs> when nobody's looking and then we lose our blessing in public. You're always, the enemy's always gonna offer you a bowl. And I think some of the greatest bowls that our people at City Chapel are being offered right now, number one is weariness. Look what he says uh, in the the scripture, uh, Esau says to Jacob, he says, I'm weary. He says it twice. It says that he came in and he was weary and then he told Jacob, he said, I really need that bowl because I'm weary. Weariness will drive you to the bowl. Weariness will drive you to Satan's substitute for your birthright. Weariness will drive you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. And so when we get weary, we get hungry. For, we smell that. Oh, that feels so good. That smells so good. This is, this is, this is restful. This is, this is relaxing. If we can put that scripture out there, I want to show him where, where he says that he was weary. It says, Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. We often get weary. And I talked about this with the women's retreat because, because in Psalm 23, Jesus, who is our shepherd, he, he, he promises us that we don't have to be weary. And he he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, He leads me, this is what he said, he leads me beside still waters. You remember that? He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. A restored soul is not a weary soul. But we often eat from the bowl of soup because of our weariness. We have a promise of God that He's going to lead us beside still waters. Now, still waters are important because sheep won't eat out of rough waters because they're they're too scared. So He leads us, He doesn't lead us to still waters, He leads us beside still waters. And this is, I think, why we get weary because we just walk beside the still waters. We walk beside a life giving church. We walk beside life-giving small groups, we walk beside opportunities to serve. We walk beside still waters, and we don't stick our head in because we, we carry weariness more, more like a badge. We, it's like, oh, no, no, no. No, I'm good. I'm good. And God's like, don't you want to just rest for a minute? No, 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 no. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm strong. It's okay. I'm, I'm doing great. And when we're feeling really good emotionally, then we, we don't take the time to, to extract the provision that he has led us to we don't stick our head in the still waters. We just walk beside the still waters. And this is what God will always do. He will always lead you beside still waters and he wants you to put your head in and take a drink, but it's gonna be up to you. He's not gonna force you. He's not gonna shove your head in there. He's gonna lead you beside a place. He's gonna lead you within proximity of a place. And he's gonna ask, do you want to step into that? Do you wanna step into freedom? Do you want something for yourself? But instead we're always like, no, 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 no. I don't wanna drink up the whole river, right? I wanna save some for everybody else. It's a river for crying out loud. Stick your head in it. Like we have small groups. Stick your head in every once in a while. Come on, somebody. You got got to receive every once in a while. You can't just give out all the time. You can't just serve all the time like you're Superman or Jesus Christ or a new Messiah. Look, you are a sheep of his pasture and you need to take a drink of the refreshment that he's got right in front of you. You You gotta, you gotta, you gotta eat some Snickers every once in a while, some Ho Hos, some Ding Dongs. You gotta celebrate, like you got to, you got stick your head into the river every once in a while. There's a passage of scripture that that I wanted to read, but we, we but we don't have time. It's a story about 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 Saul who who was anointed king of Israel, and Saul has a great victory. God gives him. The Bible says that that the Lord gave Israel a great victory that day in battle, and so. Saul says, you know what? Hey, we're not not even going to rest. In fact, he calls a fast. He says, nobody can eat, which means everybody's going to get hungry until we destroy all my enemies. And his son, Jonathan, comes along. His son sees some honey. He didn't hear the command. And his son reaches his staff out and takes some honey and puts it in his mouth. And as the Bible says that his eyes were, were refreshed and he was strengthened. And somebody said, hey, Jonathan, you're not supposed to do that. And Jonathan said, look what my dad has put on the people of Israel, how he has wearied the people today. Because if he would have allowed them to eat, they would have been refreshed. And one of the reasons why we're so hungry for the bowl that the enemy offers us is we're not eating from the honey that God has right in front of us. We say, no, 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 I can't eat until all my enemies are destroyed. Look, if you wait until all of your family is saved to celebrate, if you wait until all of your bad habits are taken care of, if you you'll be dead before you celebrate. You're not gonna make it that long. You're always gonna have enemies. There's always gonna be something that's not right. There's always gonna be a squeaky wheel wheel in your life or maybe in your car. There's always gonna be something that's off. You gotta take time to celebrate in the moment and refresh your soul. Otherwise, the enemy's gonna offer you a nice substitute. And so much of addiction is just that. It's a substitute for weariness. It says, I don't know how to, I'm getting overwhelmed. I need to escape this. God never wanted you to escape. He wanted to feed you right there in the middle of your forest, right in the middle of what you're going through. There is honey right next to you. If you would just reach out and eat it. Turn to the person next to you. Turn, 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 turn. You don't have anybody. Turn to the person next to you and say, eat the honey, punk. Just eat it just enjoy life everyone's. I mean, I, I understand being driven. I understand just, I gotta, go, I gotta go. Yeah, I get all of that. And that's nice to be driven. And look, the driven people get stuff done, but God is not expecting you to finish what he started. God is not expecting your abilities to finish what grace started. God's not expecting your strength to finish what his strength started. The work that he began in you, he will bring it to completion. It is not your job to strap on weariness. his life like a badge and just keep on walking. Take some honey, stick your head in the pond and be refreshed. In Jesus' name. I'm running out of time. I had a whole nother bowl, which I'll I'll have to get to that next week, I guess. We deal with, 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 with so many different bowls. The last... Yeah, yeah, I'm running out of time. And so so what I want to do is I just want to offer, if this is speaking to you, let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to set down the bowl. (laughs) <laughs> the bowl that you picked up. I want to give you an opportunity to set down the bowl that you've been flirting with, that the enemy's been handing you and you've been smelling and you've been holding on to. Look, there is refreshment from the presence of the Lord. God does not expect you to carry this thing on your own. God does not expect you to push that flywheel all by yourself. God is going to be there with you. Life is hard, but God is present. And my shepherd will not lead me beside rough waters. He will not lead me without water, he will lead me beside still waters. And if you're weary today, I just want to tell you there is fresh water for you. And it's not on you. And it's not up to you to defend your name. It's not up to you to look around. So here's the thing. When a sheep puts his head in the pond, he has to stop looking around at all the other sheep. It looks at some point, you just got to ignore everybody else and just drink from the river that Jesus has put right in front of you. Just is not you. You're not the king sheep. You don't have to explain the rules to all the other sheep. You don't have to make sure everybody's drinking before you take it. Just refresh yourself. Be selfish for a minute. Spiritually, be selfish for what God has for you. Don't let somebody else take it. It's meant for you because the journey that he's about to lead you on, you are going to need the refreshment that he's offering you right now. The enemies that are still out there, you're only gonna defeat them if you're refreshed yourself. Don't let a hungry spirit, don't let a hungry spirit rob you of your birthright. And so I just want to pray this prayer over you right now. Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would bring refreshment to each person here today, that you would bring refreshment from the presence of the Lord, that you would bring uh, fresh water, fresh... Cool streams beside them, God I pray that we would stop being so driven on a task and start start just being more driven on a person, Jesus Christ, and as our shepherd leads us beside still waters that we wouldn't that we wouldn't take on weariness, but that we would let go we would set down the bowl, whatever the enemy is offering us, Lord, I pray that we set it down. I come against every every temptation that is tempting us to escape and tempting us to 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 give in to weariness and tempting us to pick up weariness Lord we need to set that down. We were never meant to walk with it. We were never meant to carry it. We we were only meant to keep our eyes on our shepherd. And so we choose to lay it down today and to pick up freedom and to pick up peace and to pick up joy and to pick up a Twinkie every once in a while and eat some honey and enjoy life. This process that we are on this journey that we're on is a good journey. And every single life that we meet and every single person that we come into contact with and every single moment is precious. Every single moment is alive and it's brimming with life and it's full of opportunity. And it's not just about reaching some, some place of blessing. It's about living in a birthright that we have. We have been born of God. And whatever is born of God is good. So we just accept that goodness today. We set down our bowls. We take up our birthright. If you'd like to, for the first time, if you'd like to take on a, a birthright from Jesus Christ and just accept him into your life and submit to him as your shepherd, I'd like for you to raise your hand right now and I'll just pray with you a prayer that is just simply a prayer of, of submission and lordship. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome. Cool. If I were you, I would pray this. I would say, dear dear Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive me for going my own way. I invite you to come into my heart and I will make you my Lord. I'll follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus name, amen.